0: So them. If you awaken from this illusion. Persistence of Vision.
1: Hello folks and welcome to the show. I am Lance Fever Myers.
0: And I'm LB Dio. We'll be your host
1: for the next half hour as you listen to episode four of
0: the Persistence of Vision Podcast. Wait! Before you get any further,
1: what's this music that started our show? That is the Persistence of Vision theme song, composed by our friend Jerm Pollitt, while in the band A Monster's Guts. Now, where can I hear
0: more of this excellent band, A Monster's
1: Guts? Well, you get on the internet, you go to a site called Bandcamp.com, search for A Monster's Guts, it's that easy. I've heard of the internet. Are there
0: more sites up there than just this band camp thing
1: yes there is one other site you can go to it's the persistence of vision publishing website which is pov-publishing.com there you can read poetry by oneise myers and w joe hoppy you can read sequential art and comics by walt holcomb mac white shannon wheeler and penny van horn and you can also order my novel why so much Oh, your novel is out. Fantastic. (laughs) If
0: only there were a tool that would do the work of all these.
1: (laughs) When do we celebrate? We are going to celebrate the release of my first novel, Why So Much, on June 8th. That's 2019, for those of you in the future listening to this from the past. Uh, June 8th, 2019, at Malvern Books in Austin wonderful. I'll be there. But enough about us and enough about the future. What is happening in the present moment right now?
0: Well, Lance, today we are going to talk about one of my very favorite books, Infinite Jest, with one of my favorite people, Shannon McCormick. If you can love a man, then I love Shannon McCormick.
1: Yay. Stan's here hey,
0: hey infinite jest is a science fiction novel it's a postmodernist novel It's a modernist novel, it's a philosophical treatise, it's a comic novel, it's an epic, it's a tragedy, tragedy, and an espionage thriller, and a novel of the body. The book's themes and influences range from Homer and Shakespeare to Dostoevsky and Wittgenstein, from competitive tennis and substance abuse to the consumption of resources and the elimination of waste, from consumerism and popular culture to ultraviolence, terrorism, and death. What else is it? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's find out. What do you say, Shannon McCormick?
2: Uh, I mean, that's a really that's a really great. That's a great summary. Uh, it's a. It's also. I mean, the 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 thing that you didn't mention, or maybe you did mention it, and I miss it because there's a flurry of things it's about. <laughs> it's also, of course, about entertainment and yes. the entertainment right. of the title of this um, contraband uh, videotape. Produced by the main character's father, um, which compels one once they have started watching it to give up all other bodily desires <laughs> except for to watch this tape. Right.
0: Um, and this is the tape that's called Infinite Jest.
2: W- or well, it's it's only I think it's referred to in the book as the entertainment. Well, it's, I think, it, and then and then it loops, or it, it refers, you know. and then, oh, it, yeah, yeah, it refers to uh, infinite jest from uh, from Hamlet, of course. But um, no, what's what's on the tape is never revealed. Yes. Um, what what it what it is that is so compelling is never really revealed. So um, there's
0: a tape on the loose, just making sure that our audience is with us. Yes. There's a tape floating around that has an entertainment on it. There is an entertainment so powerful mm-hmm. that people lose all desire to do anything other than to watch it. Correct. And then what happens to them?
2: Well, they end up just watching it forever on a loop and, and wasting away. And But what's really crazy is that it's never really, you never really see it in action. It's kind of a MacGuffin in its own book. Um, mm-hmm. So... Uh, there's a plot to find it or there's like lots of conversations of people trying to track it down, but it never really goes anywhere. Mm -hmm. Um, It's also been a long time (laughs) since I've read (laughs) Infinite (laughs) Jess. So I, 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 uh, so uh, for those who haven't read it, and I think Infinite Jess is one of those books that's more talked about than read. Our main character's name is Hal Incandenza. He is a tennis player at a tennis academy run by his family. Um, his father, James, is an avant-garde uh, filmmaker. Um, who has not, in the not too distant past, committed a very gruesome suicide via sticking his head in the microwave? Yes. Um, <laughs> and um, he is the producer of this. Is, this the, the entertainment is sort of his, um, um, you know, magnum opus that is never really formally released, but is somehow leaked out from his archives and is floating around. Um, and yeah, that's just kind of the. Top line surface level of the plot of the book, of, of which the the pl- I mean, it's I find the book to be a page turner, but it's not the plot isn't the delight in the book. Mm-hmm. So, what is the delight? What is it that makes because this, this, like you said,
1: it's more almost more talked about than it is read, yeah, and it makes all these lit like Time magazine had in the top 100 English language books written between 1923 and 2005, like it's this. It's this force. It's this, it made a huge impact
2: when it mm-hmm. came out. Why? Um, I, I think so. I, I have a couple theories on that. I read it when it first came out. I was living in Prague at the time, and so uh, I read it in 1996. It had come out. I think it came out in the states in '95. And a friend of mine brought it back from New York, and there was a group of us uh, living in Prague, mostly American expats, but a, you know, a few Brits and you know, some other folks, and we handed around this copy. Like we like it was, it was dot mm-hmm. literature or something. Yes. We had one copy of Infinite Dress, um, and so my then girlfriend, now wife, and I were reading at the same time. So we had like four bookmarks in it, um, <laughs> uh, you know, because because of the footnotes in the back. Um, why it was a force? I think it was uh, for me. I mean, I read it in my twenties as a as a writer. And I felt like it was the first time I had read a book that just was blowing open the possibilities of what you could do in a novel. Mm. Um, and, and I think it, it, it comes out at a time when the kind of the fad of a kind of a Raymond Carver minimalist, very understated prose style and very sort of you know, naturalistic uh, situations, which was prevalent in the lit world for a long time. Was fading, and here was this big bombshell of a postmodern book that was maximalist in every possible way. Um, from the plot is crazy. It's a thousand plus pages. It's got footnotes in the end that you have to read to help make sense of other parts of the book. So it's got you, you know, yes. flipping pages back and forth.
0: Three hundred pages plus of
2: footnotes. Of footnotes, and if you don't or endnotes of endnotes, and if you don't read them, there's lots of lot of stuff that happens in the end notes, yes. so you have to kind of toggle back and forth. But, you know, what's weird to me, It so well,
1: I guess it's not weird, but it's just a, a point to make at this particular junction when you talk about what this book was and the monster that it was and, and how it it's, yeah, it's so huge, it's so dense, it's so wild. Um, if it had been written by anyone less talented... It would have been so obnoxious, Mm -hmm. right? And I think there's a lot of people who find it obnoxious anyway. There's a lot
2: of it is a a, an off critiqued book. I think it, uh, you know, uh, although I am a big fan, I think its fan base can be a little bit obnoxious sometimes. (laughs) You know, Um, I I think that's one of the things too. Is is, so its wildness is not just there in the, the conceit of its ideas, but also just on the language. I mean, the guy could. David Foster Wallace wrote in a way that was extremely verbose, but extremely conversational. And it felt very... It feels like how Americans talk. And it's very mediated. There's lots of references. He's he's
1: so gifted at doing that without seeming like, hey, kids, I'm talking like you.
2: It was... He's got this... I think that is his charm. That's his... I think that's his gift. His voice is just, yeah. It's it's the voice that he brings. The force of his personality is there on the page. Well, that's all one of his times. gifts. Yeah, it's, it's a, a, one yeah, of his many.
0: sort of an aw shucks genius.
2: Yeah, it, it, there's a there's a humility even while he's showing off. That's I find really remarkable and um, compelling.
0: It's, and amazingly, it's it's a, a monster success too. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, here's a literary novel which has sold over a million copies.
2: Yeah. And it's huge.
0: And it's a thousand pages. Yeah. Now,
2: you know, and then the joke is how many people really finish it. I've finished the whole thing. Um, uh, I know there's a lot of half-read copies out there, but you know, I don't find it terribly difficult to get through.
1: I've read it more than once, and I'm not a fast reader. I'm not one of these guys that just dives in and finishes a book immediately. But I find that the... You know, sometimes I'll try to read several books, and I'll Get halfway done and I'll start thinking, you know, I just don't like to read. Right. Maybe I'm just not, maybe, maybe <laughs> I'm just just done with words. Yeah, so maybe I'm yes. just not what he's doing. is not the really right show for you, Lance. Reading. But then I'll pick up a David Foster Wallace book and I'll be, Oh yeah, okay. I do like to read. This, yeah. this is yeah, and I mean I've read everything the guy published. Right. And and I was I was actually rereading through everything he published when uh, it was it was announced that he had Past. Yeah, and yeah. it was just heartbreaking.
2: Yeah, but I think um, to me, my my favorite part of the book is all the Don Gately sections mm. in the in the um, halfway house in the in the yes. recovery. Yeah, you mentioned
0: that me Hal was the main character. Hal's the main character, but Gailey, Don Gately yeah.
2: is the heart of the book. He's yeah. my favorite really character, That's and he, cool. I think he's a great. Yeah, he's one of the great characters in American literature, and I it, it, I don't see it talked about that way. But he's just an amazing. Character. I, I've never heard anybody say that. But I, I feel the exact same. I, way. I really feel that that like his his portrayal, the empathy that David Foster Wallace brings to a guy struggling with addiction, and then you find out later that those struggles were were Wallace's own. That he yes. had some uh, severe substance abuse issues that I didn't know about at the time that I read Infinite Jest. But just the, the his his ability to dive into you know twelve step and make it compelling. I mean. The Don Gately stuff is a lot of just sitting around. Those guys are just sitting in that halfway house, killing time, and it's yeah. really
0: compelling. Well, you know who Gately is based
2: on? Uh, I don't actually. Hercules. Oh, that makes sense. That makes sense. There's
0: a scene in the book where he is uh, doing his halfway house. You know, you have to do like a work thing. You have to work. The labors of Hercules. He does the. He cleans the bathroom right. with a hose, the way that Hercules claimed the clean the Phrygian stables okay. and all this other stuff. But there's all these references that yeah, well, that you don't read, you don't pick it up the first time you read the book or, you know, most of it you wouldn't pick up the second time or the third time. It's just like so abstruse, but it's wonderful when you hear it, you know, I yeah, I,
2: I, I, love it. And I, there's a, there's a, just a, there's a ton of really great, um, I think one of the one of the reasons it's successful is like the people who buy books and read books are like you know the lit majors and aspiring writers, so they've got a certain level of uh, literary knowledge. There's so many like crazy, cool references built in. I mean, you've got Shakespeare. I like the. I think um, the conversations if, with Marath and the, the Canadian guys is is based on. Um, the uh, Weiss play, the uh, Persecution and whatever of uh, uh, Jean-Paul Marat as performed by the Marquis de Sade, mm-hmm. yes. uh, which is a philosophical conversation between the Marquis de Sade and Jean-Paul Marat as staged yes. in an asylum. They, they, because that's actually an adaptation of that play was one of James and Condenza's movies. It's like listed in his filmography. Yes. And then you go, oh, wait, that's that's what's playing out yeah. in these conversations. Well, you know, what's funny is like
1: so. So you you mention this as as if it's like this great thing, and, and when when I <laughs> I hate that I do this, but I kind of roll my eyes when I start when it's like oh this is based on this is because again in lesser hands that can be so. St-
2: and so like, it would off-putting. be, it would be a disaster. Well, look, I was, okay. So you know what I mean? yeah, not long after that, I was in a, so I, 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 think that too, if it's not, if it's not done well, I was in a, I was in a workshop one time and a guy brought in a story that was like. It was a mess, and then we got to the end. And it was like, oh, but it's based on right. like, the, right. the Minotaur and whatever. So it was like, often, who, who cares? Yeah. Like so it, didn't, often, it wasn't that's the case. it wasn't compelling as its own. Right, it's got to be compelling and stand on its own. And then, and then if you get the extra bonus references, right. cool, that's neat. Right. Yeah. But and then uh, the the way it plays high and high high art and and low art. I mean, there's like a the whole. Crazy um, thing about one—I when when I can't, I can't exactly remember. One of the characters is obsessed with Mash and um, yes. <laughs> Major Burns, and Sab Major Burns was like um, just by his name was a harbinger of the apocalypse. Gately's uh, father, yeah, and you oh, know, no, no, somebody's father, somebody's somebody's father, and there's, so there's just like lots of little, you know. One of the most ridiculous bits in the book is if you remember when um, they're having the Eschaton uh, tennis game. Yes. The, the, um, uh, you know, basically doing war games but with tennis balls. Yes. Uh, And one of the the young tennis um, school attendees gets his head stuck in a microwave or something. No, no, uh, 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 a computer. computer. Mm -hmm. He gets his head in a computer and it's so, like, jaggedly and... um, delicately placed around his (laughs) neck that they can't remove the monitor. So he's walking around with a a computer monitor on his head with a busty nurse kind of finagling him around. And his name is Otis P. Lord. Otis P. Lord, who was Emily Dickinson's one of Emily Dickinson's correspondents yes. you know so it's just like these weird like okay he's named after some guy from like you know Boston Brahmin society in the 19th century and yet now he's this ridiculous just like lots and lots of little little easter eggs and stuff in there that I just I, I love and of course Wallace himself
0: is, has had such an interesting background you know he's a son of academics mm-hmm. he, he is a person whose passions include tennis include uh philosophy Mm -hmm. which he majored in include mathematics all of which are absolutely central to the story of this book and yet the book is not uh academic in any way it's completely entertaining and absorbing and, and human
2: yeah i think i mean i think his i think his greatest quality as a writer is his empathy for individuals like even the most messed up uh, characters in that book, he can draw in such a way that you really feel their humanity, and I, I, I just think he's great, and it, it, it shows out through all the rest. Well, of he's the so work lucid.
1: Too. I feel like I feel like he's so aware of. I mean. All great writers really have to be, you know, to be able to pick out the things that, that you know, where we'll read and we'll say,
2: oh, I've always felt that way, but I've never quite seen you. I've never heard... seen it written down. Oh, for... Right. I, and, I, and, and and Infinite Jest definitely has. Yeah, yeah. Just like every other page, there's a moment but, like that. But to to that like... like somebody that lucid, but also having a nervous
1: breakdown and being able to describe it like step by step mm-hmm. as it's happening. Mm-hmm. And that that sort of, I mean, there's elements of that in this book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, do you um, believe in the you know the, the myth of the you know tortured genius, the, the, the mad scientist, as it were? The, um, yes, because Wallace as you
0: mentioned, Wallace committed suicide about yes. ten years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah. So, what do you think about that?
2: I mean, I, I suspect that his. Um, I don't think it's. I don't think it's a one size fit fits all. Right, so I think there are great artists who are, they might be complete um, sociopaths and don't actually, on a personal level, understand other people. But they're, you know, they're wonderful stylists or um, stru- they, they can structure books in amazing ways. And and uh, I'm, I'm trying to think of somebody that it would fit the fit the bill. But I do think that, but I think you know, somebody like Wallace who. It, 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 the impression I have is just such a wide open person and perceptive about other people. I, I, I suspect that everything was, um, you know, coming in and impinging on him in ways that allowed him to write well. Um, but you know, also probably tortured him in other ways outside, which I mean, I, you know, uh, it seems to have been the case. Um, but I don't think, I, I think you need to have both. I think that, um, that perception and that, um, Uh, empathy for other human beings doesn't amount to much unless you (laughs) have the chops or the um the craft and the discipline to pull off a book like that i mean he obviously wrote like a maniac to uh, to produce that book i mean i think he wrote it something like six months or something what uh, really uh, it was it was it was fast i don't it, it was less than that but it or it was more than six months but it was a short period of time yeah um and, uh, yeah, so I think, you know, I think that for somebody like that, you, um, you, you probably have a certain advantage, um, by being that perceptive about the way people are, but you also need to have that, that the writing skills to be able to pull it off. Have, have you read what other what works of his so again like in this some is is that way I think um, that we also passed around a Xerox copy of the Harper's supposedly fun thing I will Hmm. never do again the cruise ship thing uh, was was a big hit Um, actually one of my favorite bits of his which I read before Infinite Jest which is why I was so keen to read it when my friend Neil uh, brought it back from the States was the novella that's in the End of the of his uh, collection of stories. Um, the novella is called uh, Westward: The Course of Empire mm-hmm. Takes Its Way, yeah. which is <laughs> it's a little bit it's more inside baseball than Infinite Jest. Um, it's a it's a critique of John Barth's um, uh, metafiction, but uh, you know, and uh, trapped in the Funhouse, but also just an insane, crazy story. It's so good. I I really I really love that novella. Um, I've not read Broom of the System, and I've not read, uh, what's the, the Pale King? Okay. The book. I haven't read that. And then I read, um, Brief Interviews with Vidius Men as well. Did I mean, I think Infinite Jest is the, the, pinnacle did of you his read career, Pal obviously. King's... I did read Pale King.
0: I, I, liked it a lot. I did too. Uh, one thing that, uh, there's a quote I'd like to bounce off you. hmm When he was talking about Infinite Jest at one point, David Foster Wallace said, I set out with this book to write something sad and I was very surprised when people kept coming up to me and telling me how funny it was
2: um look uh no I get it uh it, part of it is, uh, I think the the breeziness of his tone can often lead to people thinking that he's kidding around mm-hmm. or pl- being playful when it's actually he's talking about heavy duty stuff. I mean, there's a lot of really bleak stuff in, yes. in that book. Um, but, but he's got he has an inherent playfulness, and I think he's maybe being a bit disingenuous when he's finds I, it surprising. Yeah, I still don't know how you can find be it. Surprise. Yeah. He's got I mean these Otis P. Board with a computer monitor right. in his head. I mean
1: there's ridiculous. The, the guy that, that plays uh, tennis with a gun to his head, a yeah. glock to his head. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. Threatening to kill himself if he ever loses.
2: Yeah. I mean <laughs> um but so when I said look, I was thinking of uh, I was thinking of myself. And I and I and I think specifically um, I do a lot of improv. And some of it's just context, right? So people go to an improv show and even they expect they want it to be funny. So, like, we'll do improvised blah, you know, it's whatever the narrative is that we're going to kind of shape. We've already preconceived how we're going to shape the narrative. And we're like, we're not trying deliberately to make it funny. We're just trying to hit the notes of what that narrative genre is. And it comes out funny Mm. just because of the environment and the context right. etc and I think he with his tone with his situations sets things up in a way that you are prone to see the comedy in them. Mm-hmm. And he's a great he's a great comedic writer I know but I think it's partly because he isn't trying to be funny yes he isn't tra- he isn't he's he, it's not like Douglas Adams right. he's, he's not like a jokester <laughs> on the page you know mm-hmm. he's not trying to riff and just be clever every single second right um so I think it. I think it. You know, it, it makes the, the it makes the peaks of the comedy even funnier. Actually,
1: yes. I heard uh, someone, um, and I don't know the, the history of this term. I think it was coined out relatively recently, but uh, hysterical realism. It mm-hmm. sounds about right. Uh, yeah, right. It was, it was just complete absurdity, but juxtaposed with these moments of sobriety that that mm-hmm. are very dark mm-hmm. and, and um, are real and human.
2: I mean the other another writer that I that I that I love a lot is is Philip Roth and he called you know he was uh, a big proponent of what he called the American berserk mm-hmm. right and I think I think in his way Wallace writes about the American berserk where right every I mean like what a what a strange and bizarre country yes <laughs> you know and and and, and it just, it's very I haven't read it but it I wonder like. Ha, reading, if I were to pick it up and read it now, the like the way that the years are sponsored by products. Mm, yes, right. um,
0: yes. The book starts out in the year of the Whopper, or the or year the is the, it wh- the year of Glad?
1: Yeah, right. Glad. I think. But there's a year of Glad. There's, there's the year, year of the, the Whopper. You're year the year right. You're
2: right, the Whataburger, And there's a the year of the Maytag Whisper Quiet Dryer. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and it depends adult undergarment. Yes, um, and it's it seems ridiculous. But at the same time, it's like, I mean, there's, I mean, there's product placement, ev- you know, everywhere. So it'd, it'd be interesting to think yeah. about like how that has played out in the last, you know, 20 years of American life. To, to Another thing about it that's so
0: insane is the, the structure of the plot, which the author claimed was based on a fractal shape called the Sarpis- Sarpisky pyramid. It's the pyramid with as like There's a triangle within triangles with triangles in it and and just go down progressively into smaller and smaller triangles making up. And he said that this is the, you know, I guess as a normal novel might have a a bell curve Mm -hmm. or something. This Mm -hmm. has this incredibly ludicrously complex fractal triangle. Uh, uh, as, say, as, as its, as as it's,
2: it's, as it's uh, organizing principle. Yes. I mean, I, I had not heard that one before. I mean, I think the fact that the book ends in a flashback.
0: Yes. Well, it, it really is infinite, right? I mean, you, right. You, the first page of the book is also the last page of the book.
2: Yeah. Uh, I mean, well, I mean, the book ends with Gately, but in the past, right. when, he's, when he's got the giant stash of Delauded before mm, yeah. he had gone into rehab. Mm-hmm. So it ends in the It ends career. in the past. It starts it ends in the past. It starts after the chronologically furthest furthest in the out. future. It furthest in the future this is how how they are you the go to college. Yes. We never really know what's happened to him. Yes. Except that he's probably had some psychotic break that he's completely lucid in his own mind and is some sort of simpering idiot. External. External that's, that's one of my favorite parts of the whole book. Yes. That's what has led me to read it
1: multiple times is just
2: I it, want to it, read that first part it again. It keeps looping back and yeah. you're like what happened you know like what happened to him to right his DMT yeah. or whatever but like, it's, it's such a a, and... a great little you know
1: snapshot of, of what it feels like to just not be understood Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, that, that that feeling of, of alienation and and being in a situation like a, a job interview, or a, a, as the case may be in a, a interview to get into a school mm-hmm. and have that be like the stakes are so high and he's being scrutinized and to be And they're just coo- Completely horrified. By <laughs> right. Like, yes.
2: We're like, what is happening? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So remarkable. Yeah. The uh, the
0: inter- an interesting one. Going back to this uh, structure of the novel, the one of the effects of that you see is you see that you know this this pyramid shape or this triangle shape has uh, filled areas and blank areas, and the novel story has huge sections that are essentially missing. Mm-hmm. The uh, you know some of the most important events, if not the most important events of the novel, are not depicted in the novel. Right. Some of the most important characters are not t- depicted in the novel; they're only briefly alluded to. Mm-hmm. And yet, if you look at the, sto- the story,
2: they are key right parts of the book. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it's it's really interesting.
1: So uh, back to you know its impact and how people received it, like what it did for um for literature. I mean do you think that it changed the way we view um,
2: authors? I mean did it did it bring off you know the rock star author back into I think a little bit. I think in some ways I think like I and they were friends. I think I mean this is this is gonna seem petty. I think that Franzen Jonathan Franzen mm-hmm he occupies a space kind of cleared out by David Foster Wallace. Right. Mm-hmm. right. I don't think he's, in, I don't I don't like and nearly as much as I like Wallace. Right. Um, in fact, I, I kind of, I'm one of those people who enjoys like making fun of Franz for <laughs> <laughs> being such a kind of, you know, uptight, a lightning rod uh, up, uptight asshole. But, um, but I think he occupies a space sort of cleared out mm-hmm. by David Foster Wallace. I think in, in other ways like somebody like a Juno Diaz kind of is, can operate in that space. Mm-hmm. Um. That, that, it was the first book that was, I felt that did a good job of like writing about how people live currently, which is like very mediated. We're on devices or consumers of junky pop culture stuff Mm -hmm. But dealt with it in a in a realistic or dealt with it in a thoughtful way, as right. opposed to a merely a, a, a binary. This is bad right. or, or mm-hmm. this is this is great. It, it's very it, it's nuanced, and I yeah. think and but we all live that way. And I think that it was the first book to really kind of plant a flag and say we can write about this stuff. I
1: forget right. where it is, but there's some essay where he's, maybe you can remember, um, okay. uh, he talks about uh, his writing teachers telling him, you're not supposed to put anything in your writing that dates the material. Right. And, and he's, he's like, like he, completely reacting against that. It's like, he, you, then you can't put cars in there,
2: you can't put telephones, you can't put anything. Uh, he wrote an essay uh, before, before Infinite Just came mm-hmm. out, called E. Universe Plural." Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, about... Writing in the age of television yes, um, and being consumers of mass entertainment and how that's, you know, how this stuff, you know, it's an engine for narrative that's out there in the world. Why are we, why, why are we like, you know, these Puritans who pretend, want to pretend that it doesn't even exist.
0: Right. So. Well, I think we better get to our questions. Right?
2: Oh, no. oh okay.
1: I'm having too much fun. I want to keep talking. It, yeah, it's a great book. It, <laughs> it is a fantastic I I book. He's a, like a fascinating writer, fascinating
2: uh, character. And all of his stuff is here at the yeah. Harry Ransom Center that's right that's right his, his are here, so Center. I know people can go I don't know if the manuscript for the book is there it but is it is but I know like a lot of his reading lists and his some of his personal collection and you know notes and all these kinds of things you, you know. know how they are there they, they collect his lint his uh, yeah, a
0: little bit of everything <laughs> yeah, <laughs> his,
1: bandana, his bandanas yeah right, oh right yeah <laughs> oh that would be cool <laughs> <laughs> right. yeah
0: yeah if you're from out of town and you ever visit Austin the Harry Ransom Center is probably the first place that I take someone who's visiting from out of town that's, it's basically my favorite place in the city that's great
1: well okay so on to our lightning round
2: okay lightning round okay alright so when was the first time you remember falling in love with a book <sighs> I I would probably it was probably when I was like I don't know 13 or 14 I, re, I really liked the Lord of the Rings hmm. and also around the same time I also read Watership Down. okay um and so both of those were like, oh, these books are cool, man. Like, or like, or like <laughs> m- more books are like, books have are they're, they're absorbing in a way that yeah. is like more than just like, oh, I have to read this because it's a school assignment. Or, sure. or You know, whatever I was reading for myself. And, no, no. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, has a book ever changed your mind about anything? Uh, I don't. I don't know. Like about. I'm trying to think about what.
1: Mm, um something political or something maybe personal uh,
2: personal opinion about uh i don't know Um, i don't i don't i don't know if it like changed my mind i felt like most of the books that have been meaningful to me are the books that didn't change my mind but they i felt like they came around at the right time to say yes that's the mm-hmm. way you you, uh-huh. you have inclinations to go that way. Keep going. Reinforce. Reinforce. Reinfor- it's more reinforcement. Recognized you for what you wanted to be. You exactly. Know. Yeah. Okay. Has a book ever made you cry? Uh, yeah. You so you sent me these questions before. The first time I ever cried at a book. <laughs> this is ridiculous. It's good. The first time <laughs> I ever cried at a book was in the novelization of Return of the Jedi. right. (laughs) (laughs) When I was like 11 years old and it was, uh, or 12, and it was the description of Darth Vader getting his mask taken off and seeing Luke and having that that reconciliation Mm -hmm. moment. You You cried. Yeah, dude, it was, I I found it very powerful. I don't, I'm sure if I look back on it now, I I might not even be able to find the passage that I found meaningful, but I was like, oh, wow, (laughs) let's ride like a little Luke Skywalker. (laughs) Like a little, like a little Skywalker. <laughs> Best answer. <I>
1: <laughs> uh, okay, so name a book you've read more than once.
2: Um, a book that I've read more than once. I've read a bunch of Milan Kundera's books more than one time. Um, a book of laughter and forgetting. Life is elsewhere. Um, uh, unbearable light. Yeah, Unbearable lightness of being. I've read. I think I've read each of those um, at least two or three times. What What drove you to to reread? Um. I, so I like. Um. I really like Kundera's again. Like all these. I'm like. I'm a straight white guy who likes these, all these like guys who are like that's their authors. Um, I like Kundera's, um that his authorial presence in those books. They, they're metafictional without being gamey. There he's um, he sits in those books as presence and is kind of a stage director, um, and I, I find that really intriguing and, and interesting. Yes, um, um, just as they're 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 half a novel and half a. Um, you know, musing on the philosophy and being mm. and that kind of stuff. I, 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 I was really attracted to that. I haven't read them in a while, but I really like that stuff. Okay. Uh, final question. Do you have any poetry committed to memory? I don't. I used to be better at that kind of stuff. Uh, I don't have any poetry committed to memory. And if I said yes, would you make me recite it? Of course I would. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah I don't what if it. I said no? You don't have to recite no, it. No, so. I don't have it. I, there, was, uh, like, there were some, uh, a couple of the John Berryman dream songs that I used to know mm. pretty well. Um, mm. But, uh, yeah. Excellent. Okay. Do you have any poetry committed to memory? Oh, yes. <laughs> what do you have committed to memory? Kubla Khan. Mm. Uh-huh.
0: Same Taylor Coleridge.
2: I know lots of opening lines. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, the right. pleasure dome decree, right. and then it all kinds of shit <laughs> sure, sure from there.
0: Yes, um, I learned that in high school to impress girls. Nice, which probably says more about what I thought would impress <laughs> girls.
2: <laughs> Just
0: about anything else. Yeah, what's going to impress girls?
2: 200 year old (laughs) poems. Romantic poetry. Samuel Taylor (laughs) (laughs)
1: Collard. He's the man.
0: Every schoolgirl's dream. Uh, Shannon McCormick, actor, improviser, writer.
2: What else? Uh, That's about it. That's scholar. 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 scholar reader, not really. Overall, reader. Overall, overall, reader. Big reader. Great big reader. Huge reader. Pretty One nice of the biggest person. readers. Yeah.
0: Debater. With the Debater. Yes. yes.
1: Fantastic. Well, you know, I, I want to have
2: you back. This awesome. was, this was great. great. I have plenty of other books I could talk this about. This went way too fast. It yes. It really did.
0: Yes. And we could probably have you back to talk about Infinite Chess an infinite number of times.
2: <laughs> <laughs> we'll just April. repeat we'll it on. over and yes. over again. We're back to yes. the beginning. Yes. yes. Yeah. I love it.
1: Well, thanks, Shannon. You're this welcome. Has been fantastic. Thank you, guys.
2: I appreciate it. And, and thank uh, you
1: guys for listening.
2: Yes, okay. thank you. I'm sorry. I'll cut you off. I was going to say best of luck with the podcast. Thank, thank you. You. You, should, you should
0: try listening to <laughs> it. I will. I'll,
2: I'll spread the word and go back and catch up on my listening. Fantastic. Yeah.
0: Use your su- formidable social media presence to, 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 to get the word out. Yes. Uh, Fever, i want to mention again what's coming up for us.
1: Yes. Okay. Uh, Persistence of Vision Publishing. Um, Go to the website, uh, pov-publishing.com, and there you can order my new novel um, that's out on Amazon, and we are releasing that sucker on June 8th at Malvern Books here in Austin. Malvern Books. And at the uh, website, you can uh, read poetry. You can read comics, and you can see what we're up to next, and what's who's coming up on the podcast. And you can get high as a
2: mother. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) You got some heavy hitters in the comics uh, group, right? Yeah, all those. Yeah,
1: I am very lucky to have have known some of these people who have done some fantastic work. You're right, Walt and Shannon uh, Wheeler and And Penny. Penny, they've all been
2: doing stuff for a long time. Exactly, fantastic stuff. Mac White.
1: Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. See you next time.
0: We couldn't do this without you, ladies and gentlemen. We assume.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Bye-bye.